<laughs> it's like the other day, right? Matt calls me because I had sent him an email or a text, and he calls me. I say, Matt, what is it? He me, and I said, hey, Matt, what are you doing? He sa you said, just going about my morning routine. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I was not going to the bathroom. Oh, that's what I thought. I had just gotten <laughs> out of the shower. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was in the bathroom, but I was not going oh, to the bathroom. Okay, well, I thought that because it sounded like it. You just said it really vaguely, just doing my morning routine. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I remember that. Where you'd be like, okay, call me back later. <laughs> yeah, and then I went and washed my hands just because I had been on the phone with you. Oh Thank you for joining us for the uh, Pastors of the Roundtable podcast. Um, this is the Discipleship Podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. and It's brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. Uh, together we want to encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and to connect you to the people and the ministries of MMBC. Does anybody else want some? I was going to say, do you want to pass that around some more? See, you no. like it. I need it. Don't believe. Don't dog my O'Keefe's hand lotion. Would you like a little bit more? No. More? I didn't take any in the first place. I, I took a little. I'm sorry. That's okay. He, he I don't mind. I you tried to ask. You want some more? No, it was good. Spencer, you glob it on there, don't you? I wow. use a lot of this stuff. He puts it on like three times delicate an hour. Hands. I use it. I have delicate hands. He, he's a hand model on the side. Oh my goodness. You got to take care of money maker. Money maker, you know? The radio face? The radio face. Yeah, so I love... Did we start? Yeah, we oh. started. We started. We're in the middle of it. So Don't say anything inappropriate. <laughs> Sitting around the table with me, I've got Matt Bates, uh, music and media pastor, Scott Slater, family pastor, Tim Icoangeli, uh, lead pastor of MMBC. And my name is Spencer Snow. I'm the discipleship pastor here at the church. Tim, you know, whenever I first saw your name, I didn't know how to pronounce it. That's the case so, for most people. So I just in my phone, you're still just Tim. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> the one. The D Tim. It's kind of like, so Tim Michael is like, do you remember the running back for the Panthers, Tim Biakabatuka? Yeah, he played in Michigan. Okay. Yeah. So I remember Jeez. playing on a video game. And we're like, how do you say it? We just called him Tim. Tim B. Tim. Tim. Tim B. Akamatuka. So, Tim Michael Okay. How did you think it was pronounced? I had no idea. Yeah. Yako. That's probably more more correct, honestly. Yako Angeli. So, here we're to talk about the screw tape letters. Again, screw tape letter number 18. And this letter. Last letter talked about gluttony um, and food. This letter talks about sexual temptation and love and um, how kind of gives some uh, some ideas as to how a wormwood is being written to by screw tape and how to um, what's the difference between hell 
and the philosophy of hell and what they want to do, the d- demons, compared to what God wants to do um, with marriage and uh, with sexual relations. And so he he here is, is embarking upon a, a, a topic that is, I think, has always been a perennial issue for the human race. It's interesting that it's it's not too far into Genesis that all of a sudden we're being uh, we're dealing with marital and sexual issues and sins that are arising. Um, one of the things right away after um, the fall of mankind, as we see um, in Genesis chapter four, where a guy. Um, is it Lamech who comes and takes two wives to himself? Mm-hmm. And he's killing, and now he's got two women. So he's now marriage has been abused; it's been distorted from its original pure design. And so, these are issues that the human race has dealt with. We deal with today, but humanity has dealt with this sin uh, for thousands of years now. Um, so he he points this out right away in the letter in letter eighteen. And talking about sexual temptation, and he says this, The enemy's demand on humans takes the form of a dilemma, either complete abstinence or unmitigated monogamy. And so by that he means the the Lord has two requirements in regards to sex that he places upon the human race. Either we must abstain because um, complete abstinence, because there's only one situation in which uh, sexual relations are permitted and healthy and good for the human race, and that is within unmitigated monogamy, mm-hmm. marriage. So he says those are the two, um, the two demands, the two uh, commands that God has given, the two situations that um, we can find ourselves in, either complete abstinence or unmitigated monogamy. He writes there, ever since our fathers, talking about the devil, Satan, his first great victory, we have rendered the former complete abstinence very difficult to them. The latter, for the last few centuries, we have been closing up as a way of escape. So getting rid of marriage as an escape from the other. We have done this through the poets and novelists by persuading the humans that a curious and short-lived experience, which they call being in love, is the only respectable ground for marriage. So what he's writing there is that we have so distorted the idea of marriage and love and sex to the point to where people think that the only way that you can get married is if you, quote, fall in love. And he's saying we've been able to distort that through the poets and the novelists. And we might say today through uh, whatever the culture tells us, maybe that's through music or um, novels. I know, I mean, it's, it's fascinating how we still have romance novels or novels of various sorts, um, writings or music or whatever it may be that are telling us and describing to us what love is. What does it mean to be in love? And that that is the only respectable reason and basis upon which a marriage can be built. Uh, what do you think about that before we go any farther into talking about what being in love is? Do you see that? in our culture, in people at church, um, in people around you, your neighbors or family? What do you guys think? Absolutely. I mean, you think of, I mean, just a plethora of Disney movies, of all kinds of other entertainment, that that's exactly what that communicates, is mm. that this relationship is ba- is built upon the way you feel mm. about a person. Mm-hmm. And what do they mean by feel? I guess that's a, can you develop that a little bit more? Just describe what you think that means to people. Yeah, I mean, I guess feel would just be happiness. Like you feel happy. This person makes you happy in that moment. You care about them in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, 
I think it would be defined as just very vague mm. in terms of just like the present moment, how they make you feel, how you feel about them. Um, I think we would probably tend to primarily think of it in terms of happiness. Mm -hmm. They make me happy. Positive emotions, whatever yeah, that may be. Yeah, positive emotions. They make me happy. I, I think good things about them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Every yeah. time they look at you, you get these little butterflies mm -hmm. in your tummy. Mm -hmm. and your heart starts to beat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And you start to, you, know, you can't breathe. and. You break out in hives. Yeah, <laughs> he breaks it. Doesn't he break it down in this chapter, like yeah. of what of how he defines it? Yeah, he will. And I was just, yeah, before we get there, Scott. Okay, sorry, right. I jumped ahead. <laughs> I jumped ahead in the last. One, so. <laughs> I won't. No, that's good. Um, so what he says though is this is based upon a parody. Um, so and as usual with Satan and, and temptation, he if if there was no semblance of if there wasn't anything that seemed like it could be true, we probably wouldn't fall for it, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, that's the whole point. If it was totally absurd, then we wouldn't theoretically go for it and fall for the temptation. But, right, you take a small amount of truth and distort it, and then that becomes a lie, mm -hmm. right? And so that's how um, the, the temptation seems to be working. And so he goes in next and talks about it starts to describe two different philosophies of, of the world and of reality. And he starts by what he calls the philosophy of hell, the philosophy of hell, the philosophy of, of demons. And, and what he eventually is basically saying here is that the philosophy of hell, he says here, the whole philosophy of hell rests on recognition of the axiom of this truth, this general principle, that one thing is not another thing, especially that oneself is not another self. My good is my good, and your good is yours. So what he's saying is, is the philosophy of hell, our understanding of reality that we live off of, is that you have your stuff, and I have mine, and what's, what's in Tim's interest cannot be in my interest as well. We can't, there, it's either, it's an either or proposition. And, and so if, uh, and so he uses another example, right? So the fact that, um, you know, this table is occupying this space means that another table can't occupy this space. So it must be one or the other. They can't both benefit from this at the same time. And so he, he, he points out at the very end, he says, to be means to be in competition. So all of life is a competition in which you try to beat everybody else. And um, it's, it's ruthlessness. And he says, this is what we believe as demons. This is the, the philosophy of hell. He says, now the enemy's philosophy, God's, is different from that. And he says that, the, that God is, is trying to evade this simple truth, and he aims at a contradiction, he writes. He writes this, he says, things are to be many, yet somehow also one. The good of oneself is to be the good of another. This impossibility he calls love. So he says that love is whenever uh, something is good and we pursue something that's good and it, it's actually good for other people because it's selfless. Mm -hmm. And so he, he talks about the, the, the different facts of even like our body, right? He shows how our body is, is constituted that in, in, instead of our fingers uh, competing with our nose and our feet and everything, they're all supposed to work together in unity. And he says that this is, of course, a, a horrible thing, this obscene intervention he calls, or invention called the organism. And then he also, that later on, we'll talk about how the family 
is is one another expression of this where we do things for the good of other people and so what's good for us is also good for other people um so it's kind of a both and thing um in the philosophy of god what do you think about those two different philosophies i know that's kind of vague in general um and maybe you want to point out something more specific from the book um, to further illustrate that but what do you think about those two different philosophies and how they relate to uh, marriage and sex. Oh, and that specifically? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I mean, I think it, I mean, as it relates to sex, I mean, I think scripture actually does talk about the fact that like your goal, this might not be where you're going with this, but it, it, it might apply is like your goal in sex in marriage is not even necessarily your own pleasure, mm-hmm. but the pleasure of your spouse. Yeah. And that by pursuing that, somebody else's good, you are mm-hmm. you are loving yourself. You mm-hmm. are doing good mm-hmm. for yourself. It is good for you to pursue something yeah. good for somebody else, not necessarily focusing on what would please mm-hmm. you the mm-hmm. most. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And also, he's going to tie in the fact that um, marriage and and he'll he'll talk about how sex is used because ultimately it produces offspring and family which is just another extension of this whole idea of love, which is repulsive to screw tape. I'll I'll, I'll talk about that. I want to read it, and then we can talk about it. He says, His real motive for fixing on sex as the method of reproduction among humans is only too apparent from the use he has made of it. Sex might have been, from our point of view, quite innocent. It might have been merely one more mode in which a stronger self preyed upon a weaker. And and we see that that sex has abused that way Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in instances of abuse or mm-hmm. rape or thing that's exactly what's going on. Yep. And he says that would have been okay with us if that's what this really was. He says, as it is indeed among the spiders where the bride concludes her nuptials by eating the groom. But in the humans, the enemy has gratuitously associated affection between the parties with sexual desire. He has also made the offspring dependent on the parents. So the offspring, what's produced from this union, and given the parents an impulse to support it, thus producing the family, which is like the organism, only worse. For the members, the members of the family, are more distinct, yet also united in a more conscious and responsible way. The whole thing, in fact, turns out to be simply one more device for dragging in love. So it highlights again the fact that through this means in which offspring, children are brought, and then the family is created, it, the whole thing actually just becomes a one and a many thing where it's, it's the whole family is now pursuing the good of each other. Um, and it produces, a, I think it's a fascinating connection he makes between all of these areas of love, sex, offspring, and family. Um, it, it actually just highlights love in the midst of it. Um, what do you, any further thoughts? Tim? <laughs> <laughs> um, no. I mean, Scott only talked about the positive side when you asked him about, mm-hmm. you know, like caring for each other and the sexual nature. But I think because he mentioned in there you you had talked about uh, the competition mm-hmm. where it becomes a competition that's the philosophy of hell where we want them to compete against each other sure in everything and how two people can't be satisfied with the same thing and um, I think that's often seen in family units 
if we're honest, mm-hmm. where we, I think it was mm-hmm. the last podcast we were talking about picking places to eat. The reason that's so hard, it's like we can't satisfy everybody. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a competition of who's going to get to go where mm-hmm. they want. You know, just something as simple as that yeah. becomes a, a fight um, and it becomes competitive in a sense. Mm-hmm. And that's something easy for me to fall into, just liking competition and being mm-hmm. competitive. And, <clears throat> you know, there's people who are just good with, uh, Good with words and good with different things to get what they want. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like not, you. Yeah, <laughs> there's just easy ways to go about it, and it, but it becomes, you know, it it becomes almost a competition then with yourself at times, and um, but it can take over because then it becomes selfish, mm-hmm. and it is impossible then to please everybody because only one person is getting pleased. Yeah. And the, even the, sometimes the way people try to deal with that, like within a family structure of. Well, we'll do what you want to do this time so that next time we can do what I want mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. That's still like you're, it seems like you found a solution to the issue, but you're actually still functioning under the yeah. idea of uh, the only person that's going to be pleased this time is me. Right. And then yeah. we'll please you next time. Yeah. As on, instead of changing your focus of actually my desire should be to please you. Does that make sense? It does, but I mean, I don't. I don't know if we can live in that reality just because she likes these movies, and I like these movies, and I can't change the fact that I don't like those movies. Like, I'm just not going to like them. And so, That's where you step in and you say, "Babe, I just like being with you." <laughs> That's true. That might be true, but there's times when you're like, "I just like to watch a movie," you know. And we're gonna watch a movie, but yet again, I'm gonna I'm gonna give to her and watch and. I think we would be lying to say that we're sitting there just completely satisfied that she's satisfied on the movie we're watching and I'm just watching her be satisfied and watching that movie. That's a lie. I mean, <laughs> we can say that all we want. That just doesn't that doesn't happen. I say that for this reason is I think it can tend to where one person in the relationship gets trampled over hmm. because they're always the giver, always the one giving. Compromising. Her. Always. Yeah. And they see that as their job and I would say that's actually kind of abusive of the other person to be doing that to them all the mm-hmm. time. You know, if if I'm aware that my wife is constantly letting us watch uh, what I want to watch on TV, then it's my duty then at times to make sure we watch what she wants to watch on TV. Not just to keep taking and be, man, you're just such a kind wife. You just keep letting me. Yeah. Now I'm taking it for granted. <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's that's wrong. And sadly, I feel like you see that a lot in relationships is where mm-hmm. one is the giver and one is the one accepting all of the gifts all the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it takes humility to receive those gifts. Yeah. And th- no, you're you are right, though, where it is. Right. No, that's why. I, I Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. But yeah. No, I was kind of being facetious there. No, but, but, but it's but, true but, but, because but, there are people like. I've heard, uh, you know, you'll see a lady who just complains, you know, my husband goes to work and I stay at home, but then he also does, he, he's in a bowling league or whatever, you know, and I'm fine with it. When do I get mine? Like, when do I get to go somewhere? And then the husband might say, this weekend, go out. No, 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 I can't, you know, and then it's like, no, go. No, no, no. It's like, no, you should go. Like, so you will stop complaining. And stop, <laughs> you know, that, but, but they're not willing to take that. They're not right. willing to do that. They want to be the one sacrificing all the sure. time. And it becomes sure. a problem. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason I say that. I mean, is I, mm-hmm. I feel like I see that, honestly, mm-hmm. in relationships quite a bit where uh, one feels 
neglected all the time. And I think it's because they're not willing to be taken care of. They want mm-hmm. to be that way. Mm-hmm. One of the things I want to point out too uh, from this letter is that is, is an emphasis that we often don't see today in Christian circles about the purpose in marriage and then sex is that, um, and Lewis brings this out here, is the, the product is the offspring, the resulting offspring in the past that was actually, in some ways, things were flipped as the purposes of marriage. It was to have kids and to have a protective environment. And sex was understood. Um, it wasn't so much the, uh, the pleasure aspect. It was the children aspect. Now, I'm not saying that I don't want to overcorrect the other way either, but I do think it's interesting how he brings up the fact that he brings up he connects sexual desire with the offspring that are brought forth. It's in our society today, one of the things we don't want to be bothered with is children or old people. We put them in separate places mm-hmm. so that the people that are 18 to about 65 can be happy. And then we put those people in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting though that he says that this actually produces the family, which is something that is almost lost in some senses because we so focus upon sex as being a a couple's thing, which it is, I'm not denying that, but I'm saying we forget the the resulting network of offspring and the Mm -hmm. wonderful generational thing that happens there. Um, It's it's funny, whenever you read Genesis, whenever Eve gives birth to uh, Cain, the first man, she's amazed. I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. The first birth is a wonderful miracle. Um, The fact that through the woman, uh, offspring are produced. And and so even though we are brought, even though there's pain and there's curse and there's death that does take place, there's still this miracle of God is still giving life. I, I think that's just a wonderful thing that Lewis brings out that is a good reminder to us. Um, about what this is also for as part of that whole picture of, of sex and marriage and what it's for. Um, sometimes I think we can easily forget that, mm-hmm. that aspect um, as well. Mm-hmm. So he, he talks about this in, in talking about marriage and says that family is the place in which um, we see all these people who are different, and yet they're one unit. They're loving each other. They're taking care of each other. And that's what love is. They're seeking the good of each other. <clears throat> Eventually, he says and talks about marriage and applies it more distinctly. He says, now comes the joke. The enemy described a married couple as one flesh. He did not say a happily married couple or a couple who, is, who married because they were in love. But you can make the humans ignore that. You can also make them forget that the man they call Paul did not confine it to married couples. Mere copulation for him makes one flesh. So, which by the way is an interesting interpretation Lewis is giving here of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 of what Paul regarded as one flesh. But he says here that, what do you think, it's, why is it important that whenever God describes the married couple and describes the married relationship as being one flesh, he does not say a happily married couple or a couple who is married because they were in love. Why is that distinction important that that Lewis is drawing here? 
what's the difference between being simply one flesh and being a happy, happily married couple or a couple who married because they were in love? What do you think is Lewis kind of driving at with that? Well, you're looking at me. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> I would say what he's, what I understood when he said that was that what he was driving at is that when there is not the same amount of happiness in the marriage, that's when a lot of married couples would say that we no longer should be married. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is not scriptural mm. because the, your happiness in your marriage does not, uh, does not give validity to the marriage. It's not the scripture. basis. It's not right. the basis. Uh, and love in that sense, as we were talking about mm -hmm. love in terms of the way you feel about being in love. Yeah, being in love and having this emotional response to being around this person or with this person. That is not what validates a marriage. Mm -hmm. um, and so it is a, I think what he points out when he's referencing Paul there is talking about that there is actually something objective to being married. It's not subjective mm -hmm. feelings. It's actually an objective reality mm. of you have become one flesh with this person to the point where even Jesus would say, talking about the same passage, what mm. God has brought together, mm. let not man yeah. separate. Mm. And so that Jesus was talking about the fact that something, God has done something objective here mm. that's mysterious, but it's real. And mm -hmm. so I think what Lewis is pointing out is that if feelings between two people change in a marriage, that does not negate the fact that they're married. Mm -hmm. Isn't it interesting that marriage is, and one of the things we have forgotten and, and, and to a certain degree is that marriage is a covenant. It's a contract I enter into. Mm -hmm. My wife and me are equal free agents, so to speak. And we sign a contract with each other before God mm -hmm. that I'm gonna be the husband, you're gonna be the wife, and she's my equal, but then whenever we take those roles, I take the role of the husband, which is the leader role. Mm -hmm. She voluntarily of her own accord says, I will enter the contract and I will submit to you as your role as husband. Yep. Um, and so you have two equals who are now taking unique roles within this contract together. And the contract is based upon, uh, basically it's based upon a vow and a promise that I'm going to seek your good. You're going to seek mine. And, and so you can't get out of the contract simply because you don't feel like fulfilling the contract anymore. Yeah. There's not, that's not the clause. That's mm -hmm. a legitimate reason to get out of the contract. Mm -hmm. um, the, there are a couple of legitimate ways in which the contract can be broken by one of the parties. And that's, they're guilty of breaking the covenant then. Mm -hmm. But um, other than that, other than sexual immorality or abandonment, things like that. And those things are, you have to judge um, case by case basis is mm -hmm. um, the contract cannot be broken. Just can't it, or, for yeah. valid reasons, I should say for valid reasons. Yeah. Another one there is death. Death is yeah. another yeah. reason. Yeah. 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 Unless you're Mormon. <laughs> okay. I mean, you're going to be married forever. <laughs> um, is there any way that he's referencing there, even like the whole falling in love aspect? That's, I feel, I feel like that's, I was trying to think of like scriptural marriages when people, you know, in some cultures, that's not how it works. Sure. In some cultures, it's planned for you beforehand of who you are going to marry. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not necessarily a, a wrong thing to do it that way. I, I don't know. I'm trying to think because I, I don't want to say anything out of line just scripturally of like, if the Bible speaks of how that is supposed to go, 
you know, but this idea, like we talked about earlier, where Hollywood and stuff has romanticized it of, you know, when, when we meet, when I meet Mr. Wright for the first time, and he's going to make me feel this way. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just going to be really electric. I don't, yeah. it, do you think at all he's addressing that in, mm -hmm. in that sentence of, you know, no matter how you enter into this marriage, which there's wrong ways. I'm not trying to say that. There's definitely wrong ways. Right. But like you said, this is a, a covenant of people coming coming together. And it's really pushing against this idea of like Mr. Right or mm -hmm. perfect one mm -hmm. for me. I mean, let's be honest. Most women are not going to find guys like us. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> get that out of your mind. Um, <laughs> Man, right away. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. I know you just threw me off. Yeah. I don't know what happened there. Yeah. yeah. I think. I mean, I think I understand what you're saying. Is, I mean, thinking back to even just 200 years ago when marriage was more seen for its utility than for its the benefits that it brought about in life, like about having children, yeah. you know, procreation, making sure you're taken care of you know, and, and just the good of society in general, that's kind of been taken away. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we could, we could have a really interesting conversation probably about how that happened and all the different things that work in our culture that have led to basically making marriage and relationships all about your own pleasure mm -hmm. in that sense. But yeah, it's like you look at another culture where your marriage is arranged. An American typically would look at that and say, that's that could be abusive or that's not good for that person because then there's no real relationship. Well, that's exactly what I think he is talking about here is that we base the validity of our relationship on how we feel about mm -hmm. the other person. Yeah. When I think what you're mm -hmm. pointing out is that that's never even really mm -hmm. commanded in scripture that you right. feel about a certain way mm -hmm. uh, you yeah. know, about this mm -hmm. person. I think this topic's hard because I don't know where you really go biblically to find good couples where you're like, they have it. Christ in the church. Right. I, <laughs> I guess if you call that a couple. I don't, well, I'm, I'm just being <laughs> yeah. a smart Yeah, <laughs> But I mean, you know, we go to our heroes, and most of them were really bad at this. They had multiple wives, most, most of them. You know, uh, a lot of people are doing Bible readings right now because it's still early in the year, so they're still they're still sticking with <laughs> they're it. Still sticking with it. And if they got but through, they're doomed if, to fail. Is what <laughs> if they got through Genesis, when they read Genesis, they had to have thought quite often, like, we hold this guy up. Like, I mean, I just got done. Part of it was the whole Judah Tamar thing, and it just seemed normal for him to find a prostitute. Like that never even got brought up that that was bad. It just happened to be. His uh, daughter-in-law, that was the bad part. Not even the, and it's like, mm -hmm. what? It, that, so, I mean, where you go to find in scripture, this is a this is a good godly couple that you can look to and how how they did oh, it. Abraham and Sarah? Yeah, I, I'd think about them. And, well, even that. But even him, he, he's I mean, going I mean, around he, lying about who she is. Right, we don't, we don't have no. massive flaws, though, do we? But he had no problem sleeping with the maidservant. Well, like, like, right. That was just normal practice. It, was, then, it actually was normal practice. But right. it's wrong practice. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is it's wrong. It was actually, she actually kind of, yeah, anyway. But, but that was, that was, that was, was a custom <laughs> that was done. But what I'm saying is it was wrong. I agree. It was an unbiblical thing. I'm just saying. That should encourage us, though, right? It's very hard. Yeah, it's very hard to 
is like a new couple. Here, look at look at this passage. This is this is a good passage mm-hmm. for you to see how David treated all his five hundred wives. No, I mean I can't do that. I just can't do that. Well, and he didn't have five hundred. He had a lot of concubines. Maybe Solomon. Maybe Solomon did. But you know what? It's good that you bring that up though, because I mean I, we have like Priscilla and Aquila. We hear of them. We don't hear about. But I don't know much about the relationship. Peter was married, and but hear some things about his relationship, but not a ton. And so it's just hard because when, honestly, when you read the Bible, it is full of sexually immoral people, but yet God still saves uses them. them, saves them, mm-hmm. loves them, cares for them, doesn't abandon them. Right. And it's, it's almost like they're <laughs> saved by grace. Yeah. Oh, it's almost <laughs> like that. You know, it's like right here, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age and she considered him faithful who had yeah, promised. Hebrews. I think that's one of the things that should hit us is Abraham and Sarah we're substantially Christians. Mm-hmm. That's a Christian marriage. It's mm-hmm. jacked up. There's mess there, but yeah. they were both believers. Mm-hmm. And that's what and I. That's, both, you know what that's I mean? what I'm trying to point out. You know? is just, we live in a time yeah. where we think we have this grasp on how you should love right. somebody right. and how it all happens and how it all works out. Right. You know, you just meet at a restaurant or whatever, and now you do this, and 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 now it's even to the point to where. We want to try it out for so long before we'll enter the covenant right? to make sure that it's really going to work. And that's not a biblical right. thing. That's not a, that's not, right. we just don't right. see that. We don't see that as the precedence. And I'm not even talking like sexually, just we're going to date for six years right. and see if we still like each other after six right. years. And if we do, then we'll get married. Right. It's like, I don't know if that's how, right. how it should go. Right. You know? Well, I mean, it's really messed up because Sarah was Abraham's half-sister. Well, you also have that was kind of <laughs> you know what I mean. So yeah. further, there might not have been a further lot of differences around. there. Um, a lot of people so <laughs> there were a lot of people around. <laughs> well, I mean Arkansas and there's a lot of people down there. I mean, they you know, don't have any. Kind of no, well, that's kind of the jokes we make in Missouri about Arkansas. But you're right. No, I think this is a highlight to us again, a reminder of 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 what marriage is, and it's um, it's it's a covenant contract that we enter into. It's an yeah. agreement. And and out of that, there should grow happiness yeah. and love and affection. It's um, interesting because my mind's wandering, and I don't think we're going here, and I don't mean to, but it's making me think of our relationship to our fellow church members in mm-hmm. Christ and how we are to love each Because, you know, before bef- in Ephesians, before it tells us to submit as husband and wife, it tells us all to submit to each other mm-hmm. and how we, under Christ, come into this relationship together to where we are bound yeah. together. Through the love of Christ. And the fact of the matter is, I did not get to pick you. And you didn't get to pick me. The way we treat marriage today is we say we pick each other. Mm-hmm. Right? We got to pick each other freely and deliberately. You know of no just cause why you should not be so united and token thereof is said at, at weddings. But in the church, we don't get to say that. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, no, they've been saved by God's grace and they're here and we are now united mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. And we're covenanting together. Right. right. That's what we are doing as a as a church family. Right. And I'm going to love them, warts and all, right. problems and all, sexual morality is going to come up. Like there's other sins that are going to come gonna up. Deal with it. But mm-hmm. we're going to deal with it together. Right. Right. And right. marriage is the same way. Like problems are right. going to come up, but we are going to deal with it together. Right. That's what we have to do. Right. I mean, you think about in the Bible again, what was a covenant? It, you literally cut a covenant. Yeah, I mean, covenants the, were literally like we said. The picture gonna, is circumcision, right? Well, and yeah, <laughs> circumcision. I mean, seriously though, it's interesting. the seal and sign. It's interesting <laughs> to me 
how often the knife and cutting is used with Abraham in Genesis 15. Yeah, a little too much. Cutting of the animals in half. <laughs> Genesis 17, cutting. And then lastly, the knife comes up again one more time in Genesis 22 mm-hmm. with the knife that Where he's holding is the brought knife. up again over Isaac's throat. Isaac, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, showing us that that a covenant is a solemn thing. Mm-hmm. It's a serious thing. And it's something, um, I think that's one of the reasons why um, we live in a very uh, flippant age. Mm-hmm. And it's our church services should be characterized, or should be much more like being in a courtroom or at a, a, a wedding that's being taken seriously because it's a covenant service. Mm-hmm. Similarly, just like marriage, this is a solemn engagement. It's going to be happy. It's going to produce some good things, but it's a serious deal. Mm-hmm. And, there's, and we need some solemnity in our society. I mean, the same thing um, with, you know, whenever we have political inaugurations or things like that. Those are serious things. Mm-hmm. And that's more akin to what we're talking about with church services or with marriage. Is The covenant is being read. The contract that we, that ultimately Christ allowed himself to be cut off for us. That's all pictures of him Mm -hmm. um, who was cut off for our sakes Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. that the covenant could be made with us in Christ. So um, let's continue on. And he's going to continue and connect religious feelings to marriage, but uh, later on in the, in the the letter here. But as we, as we continue on here, he, he points out the fact that when a man and a woman, even if they're not married, whenever they um, engage in, in the sexual act, that one of the things that happens is, is there's something powerful that is happening. Um, he says there's a transcendental relation set up between them. We won't go into that, but one of the things I want to, he re, he says here is that from the true statement that the, that this transcendental relation was intended to produce and if obediently entered into too often will produce affection in the family. So this will produce affection for each other and the family. Humans can be made to infer the false belief that the blend of affection, fear, and desire, which they call being in love, is the only thing that makes marriage either happy or holy. So what he's saying is, is the only thing that can make a marriage happy or holy, and really ultimately that you can base a marriage upon, is this blend of affection, fear, and desire, which we call being in love. Which being in love is is this mixture of all these feelings and emotions that goes into us. And so that's the only thing that makes a marriage really a good marriage. It'd be interesting if you were to go to young people today and ask them, what are you looking for in a spouse? How do you know that you found the person that you could marry? And it would be interesting to ask them what the qualifications are, whether or not it's they're a Christian, we agree with the same goals in life, you know, things like that that may sound really cold-hearted talking Mm -hmm. But to many, they would say, well, like what you were saying, Scott, earlier is, well, they make me feel so good. I enjoy being with them. They're so fun, which those are good things too. Mm -hmm. But those are sometimes that's all we talk about, I think. Do you agree? I mean. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see that I think language like that is used in Christian circles Mm -hmm. even. I think honestly, though, like if you start getting outside of Christian circles, the idea of marriage is disappearing, yeah, right. Because it's it's ter- it's all turned into self gratification and self pleasure. Mm-hmm. The moment, like I don't want to be nailed down in any sense mm-hmm. to a relationship with this person long term, because as soon as it's not advantageous to me, I want out. Right. And so, but yeah, the language <clears throat> like that, like you you hear that all the time, 
um, it's honestly hard to find examples of of marriages that have been founded on something other than affection that was had for another person at mm-hmm. one point in time. Like in our mm-hmm. lifetime, like I don't think I know anybody in my life who got married simply because this is who there was and I got married. Right. It was it was a combination of like I was attracted <clears throat> to that person. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, yeah, I, I think go ahead. I think something I hear to you know like uh, guys or something will laugh about oh you're in the you're in the friend zone. You're you're out, right? It's, it's over with. I think I hear it talked about maybe that way. Like the friend zone's a bad place to be because then you're probably not going to get to marry that person or be with that mm-hmm. person because there's something else. You don't want your friend to be your spouse. You want somebody else to be your spouse, which really is kind of weird because if you talk about friends, having a true friend, a true friend hopefully is someone you can be vulnerable with, which I think those words kind of wrap up about being in love where you can have fear, you can have affection for, and you can care for. That's a true friend, right? Somebody who's going to be honest with you that you're going to be honest with. And so really it should be, hey guys, I've entered the friend zone. Like, this is serious. This is getting real. We're we're able to be honest with each other and open with each other. But yet society talks about it as something that's very, very bad. But you hear stories, maybe this is this is what made me think of it. You hear stories now today of where people say, We were friends for like 12 years, never thought of them as a mm-hmm. spouse. Never thought of them as a spouse. You know, went off to college. We had friends, we had and we hung out, and then just something happened and we we started dating and got together. And it's kind of like that should make sense, you know. Like that should that should really make sense because yeah. you guys were friends and you cared about each other, and it it got cultivated into saying, "Hey, you know, there's mm-hmm. something special here," right. and it wasn't just looks or something like right. that. There was something more to it. Right. But but society talks about that as bad. That's right. a bad thing to right. be in that zone. <laughs> one of the things that came to my mind whenever you were saying about affection was, I think the the one, and it's. it's I mean, whatever you said that I don't think of anybody that entered a relationship uh, without affection. I think the one thing we could maybe say was was with children. Is uh, I learn that my that my wife is pregnant. I may learn that, and then I love the child because we're pregnant now. But mm-hmm. the child came first in the relationship. Mm-hmm. I really am already a father before I even knew to love this child. And that affection grows. So there's a sense in which we already have one instance of a relationship that happens, and it's already a real relationship out of which then love comes after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly, what Lewis is trying to say is, and he and he points out that in Western Europe, which is where they're at, and in our society often as well, um, emotions of love and affection often do precede marriages. And he says, and he's not against that. And he says, just as religious emotion very often, but not always, attends conversion. But he's he's worried about the fact that people will begin to think that those feelings are the basis upon which the marriage is then built. Right. So because I felt good about you and then got married, the minute I don't feel good about you anymore, I can get divorced from you. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. the basis of our marriage is the ba- is my my feelings. Mm-hmm. Um. And so that's what he he is is concerned about. And he says here, in other words, the humans are to be encouraged to regard as the basis for marriage a highly colored and distorted version of something the enemy really promises as its result. I've heard it put before, and I think maybe J.I. Packer said it in his uh, he has a book on uh, 
Puritanism, but he points out that they, the Puritans, rather than, um, basically, rather than marrying somebody that they loved, they married somebody that they thought they could love. Mm -hmm. They could learn to love. Mm -hmm. And I think probably as you, as you, if you've been married for any length of time, one of the things you realize is that I knew my spouse before marriage, but after these years of being with her, I'm still learning about her mm -hmm. and I'm still growing with her and I'm loving her more now than I did back then. And it looks different than it did when we were dating or whatever. And that's a good thing. And so in some ways you may be, you know, I, we did love them back then, but in a lot of ways we only really learned to love them after mm -hmm. we've entered into that contract and we're with them for the long haul mm -hmm. because there's no places to go hide. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have to deal with my problems with you. I can't go run away to someplace. We have to we have to work this out because we're in this in this together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, one last thing I want to say from this letter and then we can uh, wrap up. He says that if we follow this, if we do all of this, two advantages will follow. And this first one is is very good. In the first place, humans who have not the gift of continence, in other words, Humans, because there are some people who are gifted with the gift of singleness. They don't need to be married because they can control their um, sexual desires. If they do not have the gift of continence, can be deterred from seeking marriage as a solution because they do not find themselves in love. And thanks to us, the idea of marrying with any other motive seems to them low and cynical. Yes, they think that. They regard the intention of loyalty to a partnership for mutual help for the preservation of chastity, and for the transmission of life as something lower than a storm of emotion. What do you guys think about when he says about uh, that they regard these things, loyalty in this partnership for these goals of, of chastity, for taking care of each other, right, to have and to hold from this day forth, and also for the propagation of children. Why is it that we regard those goals as like, lower than simply this storm of emotion that we can that we call being in love why is it that we think those goals are less than the other thing i think it's because those are like those are something that we can tangibly feel mm -hmm. and the other are something that we have to do sacrificially mm. does that make sense mm -hmm. um and most of the time we want to i mean in this day and age and in, in this you know, society that pushes self-gratification in everything that we do, like this overwhelming sensualism that we get from society. Like, we want to feel things. That's the driving force between in, in most movies that we watch is, like, the feeling. Like, uh, for those Star Wars fans out there, in the last, uh, <clears throat> was it The Rise of Skywalker? Or the, the, last, the last one that came out? Um, I can't tell you how many times Finn says, it's a feeling. I have a feeling, mm. you know, it's a feeling. I just had a feeling like that's all our brains are concerned about mm. instead of, you know, how do I better mm. my spouse mm -hmm. by serving them? Right. How can I, how can I gratify them instead of myself? Mm -hmm. I think that's where it really, like there's these two views that we're really competing with and uh if we're if we're feeding the self then we're not serving and if we're serving then we're not feeding ourselves. which i would say this one is mm -hmm. the one that we should be 
focused on. Do you think that partially it's also because of, uh, we live in a very prosperous society. Sure. I don't need to be married if I want to, if I'm looking for a financial and material security. Yeah. I don't need that. In other societies. But even that is because of our selfishness and we want a say in everything that we do. Well, yeah. You know, we don't want to be confined with, with someone else or, you know, their well-being or even to sure. have to sacrifice to, to support them. Sure. It, it, like, it's even the joke, like, in a, like when someone's getting married and all the married and all of the guys are in, you know, the, the room before the wedding, like, this is your last day of freedom, you know, right. like you've heard that. And like, that's just not how it is. Right, right. <clears throat> I was just, I wonder though, because um, in, in the past, right, the, the, for instance, having children in our society, that's not necessarily a requirement anymore. Like as far mm -hmm. as it's not, not a lot of people are concerned for, it's almost like children become a toy for me to have. It's kind of fun to have. Mm. Well, they're treated as something that you are meant to find fulfillment in right, having children, right, yeah, right. which is so backwards. Right. Having children is not supposed to make you, that's not, that, that's not the primary design of it. Mm -hmm. It's not designed for you to have fulfillment. Um, it's, it's designed for you to invest in someone else and raise them up and teach mm -hmm. them and, and, mm -hmm. and yeah. grow. Be fruitful, fill the earth and multiply. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but it's even treated in a sense of, so like back to your original question, why do we think that all of those things are lower than a storm of emotion? Well, it's because it's not as fun, mm. you know, because if it's all about, I really think it all comes back yeah. to, it's just a sense of selfishness of this is all about me. And yeah. uh, fun and, and, or work. Yeah. You know, and so it's like when you, when you, <laughs> well, when you put us up against the temptation of like, <laughs> would you rather live a life of self, self sacrifice? Or would you uh, like to live a life that's completely de devoted to making yourself happy and pursuing your own personal good yeah. and personal happiness. The the ironic thing is is that you'll actually find much more happiness right. in being self sacrificial. Mm -hmm. yes. I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, but yeah, yeah, that's just kind of where I think. Right. Are. No, I think it's a it's it's a fascinating <laughs> difference in marriage that if you were to read, like he says here. Uh, make this man think that the marriage service is very offensive, which is the marriage service of the Book of Common Prayer, which is where we get a lot of our traditional language mm -hmm. for marriage services, um, to have and to hold from this day forth, those kinds of words. Um, and if you read that, that, that the, the service for marriage out of the old Book of Common Prayer, it is interesting how contractual it actually is. Mm -hmm. Um, because you're after you're 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 doing this. What happens is is all of my worldly goods become all of their worldly goods, yep. and all of theirs become mine. We're 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 merging together as a corporation now, hmm. so to speak, and um, we're going to take care of each other because in this world of sin and danger that we live in right now, we need to work together as allies. You know, it's interesting yeah. the word for helper that God uses to describe Eve is the same word is uh, if I remember right from like the Psalms, whenever it says the Lord is your helper, mm. he's your ally. We need an ally in this world. Mm. And the one that the Lord gives us is our spouse. Um, <clears throat> and so I think that it's, there's almost a, an alliance, a contractual covenantal treaty that's made between these two parties to do good to each other. And then to, uh, to, uh, to uh, propagate. 
Tim, do you have any other thoughts? I mean, I again want to point us to the church and the role of the church because I know I know this chapter is talking about the family and stuff, mm-hmm. but we are leaving out. You know, you're saying we need an ally and all this stuff. There's there's plenty of single people in life who have a mm-hmm. fulfilled life and who live a good godly life. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul and that. But you also see that they are in covenant, though, with a people, and it's sure. a church. Yeah. It's with the church. And so I think for those people who aren't married, uh, they can find satisfaction that they're not getting from a spouse in a church family. Maybe not the sexual mm-hmm. intimacy that mm-hmm. you see in a marriage, but they can get intimacy, and they can get cared for, mm-hmm. and they can be loved for, and they can be taken care of if something were to happen in their life. Right. if. The church should be there for them, sure. to help support them and to care for them, you yeah. know, financially, emotionally, whatever it might be. Right. And uh, I just want to point that out. I know yeah. I believe everything you guys are saying That's a good to point, be true, too. but yeah. um, and again, also, it, it, points to the, it points to the intimacy, though, of church family, of mm-hmm. how you should be with each other. In our church, you can't be that with everybody. There's too many people. You just can't have that. But you can be that with, mm-hmm. with people within it. And I can also be caring enough that yeah, we're not that intimate, but you have a need, and I can meet that need, and I found out about it. I should right. be willing to do right. that okay. because we're united. And and we've entered into a contract to do that. We even right. have a church covenant, yeah. a church mm-hmm. contract that mm-hmm. we agree with mm-hmm. each other because we're saying we're doing that, and we're doing it because you're in Christ and not because I have fallen in love with you, so to speak. Mm. I, you know, there's some right. people no, in the church true. that we're just not attracted to their personality, and that's okay. But but we we do owe them these things mm-hmm. as far as like taking care of them if they're a part yeah. of our church life, um, yeah. regarding you as family mm-hmm. because that's what family is interesting right that's what families do yeah mm-hmm. and the Bible says we're the household right. of God yeah yeah we're I his just family. I just wanted to point that out I mean that's good sorry yeah. didn't want to rain on the braid or anything. <laughs> yeah. I think it's it, it's good. it's encouraging for us to think about the fact that that's not how God treats us. And our mm-hmm. us being in, in covenant with him mm-hmm. is that he doesn't base the way he treats us right. on a way that he flippantly feels about us. We know right. from scripture God does love us, mm-hmm. but that's not because of us right. and and what we do to earn that love or gain that. Mm-hmm. It's who he is right. yeah. that right. that that motivates that <clears throat> and pushes that. And so, I mean, if if God treated our relationship with him in the way that we've talked about, like mm-hmm. that we are tempted to treat our relationships with other people, that would, you wouldn't get salvation. Right. right. God loves us because he eternally chose to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah. and nothing because of anything foreseen in us. Um, so, so yeah, no. And I think that's a wonderful reminder to us of what marriage is for, of what parenting is for. Um, we don't, we don't just get rid of our children. Some um, people do. Well, I guess that's true. Yeah. But, um, you know, I have heard a, recently on a podcast that he, a guy told his son that if they were under the Old Testament, he would be basically under a pile of rocks and he would, his dad would have a sore shoulder. <laughs> yeah, I'd have a sore shoulder and you'd be under some rocks. <laughs> but we live under a new covenant. And, uh, <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> so, um, we, we get what we don't deserve. Okay. Well, thanks. I think that's a good place to stop um, and to wrap up. Um, interesting stuff to think about. Lewis is always a very engaging and fun writer to read. Um, thank you guys for chatting with me, and thank you guys for listening. Hope this has been beneficial, and uh, we look forward to having you with us next time. Thanks. Mm-hmm.